If you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 2, uh, verse 9, as we continue in our series, uh, verse by verse, through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in the first century. Post-resurrection, this news begins to ripple out across the known world, and these communities, worshiping communities, begin to form uh, around uh, following Jesus. So if you were here last week, as we unpacked the verses at the beginning of this second chapter, uh, we talked about conspiracy theories of all things uh, as part of a larger conversation in which Paul is warning the church, hey, uh, don't get uh, distracted by people who want to come and add to the gospel. Uh, saying essentially, hey, uh, you have Jesus and you have the gospel, but you're not complete. What you really need is to add these laws or rules or regulations. What you really need is to add this um, special revelation uh, that I've received you know, from an angelic messenger or whatever it is. You need to add these things to your faith. And Paul essentially says, hey, don't yield to them. Uh, you don't need anything more than Jesus and the gospel that I've given you. Uh, in fact, what you need is just more of Jesus. You're, you already have it, he's saying. You're, you're already, you already have what you think you're, you need to go and search for. It's already yours. And then he continues with this stunning paragraph that we'll uh, read this morning. And in contest, he's explaining why you don't need anything more than Jesus. You don't have to go and search out all these other things. This is chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, God wasn't holding himself back. His fullness is in Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You've got all you need in him. He is the head over every power and authority in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, as we open up Scripture this morning, uh, I pray the reality uh, of these truths would really impact us, Lord, that you would search our hearts. Uh, there's so much in these few simple sentences, and uh, everyone in the room needs to hear uh, a slightly different thing. So Holy Spirit, would you come, would you speak, would you impress upon our hearts uh, the truth of who you've made us to be? Um, Lord, you say that we will know the truth as your disciples, uh, that we will know the truth through you, that you are the truth, and then through that, the truth will set us free. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come uh, even into our own confusion and our own weakness and our own struggles, that you would come, that you would be our strength, that you would uh, set us free, Lord. Uh, show us what freedom looks like as we follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there will often be a temptation in our walk with God to add something to Jesus. Uh, Christ is our righteousness, the scriptures say. 
and yet something within us kicks in. We want to add our own. Um, Christ, uh, the fullness of God, Paul writes, uh, rests in Jesus. But sometimes we just feel like we're missing something. Like there's more that we ought to seek out. Surely there must be additional commandments that we should add to our lives, that we should add to our faith. Extra hoops to jump through. Uh, Extra human accomplishments that I can add. Extra revelations outside of Scripture which I haven't received. Uh, In fact, sometimes we can be like the original disciples who approach Jesus and, and say, Jesus... Show us the Father. This is at the end of his, of his life, after years of being together around the clock. They say, show us the Father. Give, give us the extra thing that we're missing. Show us what God is really like. We know there's more. And Jesus says, this is it. I, I, I'm not holding back. God hasn't uh, disguised some of himself. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. You already have that extra thing that you're looking for. Which is another way of stating verse 9 that we read this morning. Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's saying, that's it. If you've seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know what God is like. You haven't seen His full glory his full majesty, I don't know if we're capable of receiving that in the here and now, but you know what, you've seen his nature, the fullness of his nature, the fullness of what he is like. Uh, the Father isn't different or meaner or nicer than Jesus is. That's it. The fullness of God took up residence in, Jesus, in bodily form. For us to see. So you don't need to go uh, searching out extra things beyond Christ in that sense. The fullness is there. Uh, But also, because Jesus was both fully God and fully human, uh, he actually is uniquely suited to liberate humanity. Not only is the fullness of God on him, Paul says, but in him, through him, you have received fullness. And he couldn't have done that. He couldn't have unlocked what he did if he wasn't fully God and fully human. But he comes to to liberate humanity. And remember that the human situation, apart from Jesus, is a very dire one. It's a very desperate one. In in kind of our uh, New Age secular philosophy, we've kind of thrown all of that out. We've lost that. We say, oh no, humanity is mostly good and I think we're doing all right. In reality... Um, we're, we're not, even when we tell ourselves that. Uh, so humans were, we were, before Christ, apart from Christ, uh, first of all, empty. Uh, the scriptures say we were uh, spiritually dead. We were enslaved to Satan, to the powers and authorities, to the, the oppressive authorities of this world that would have us do their will instead of God's. Uh, we were enslaved to sin and the flesh, meaning that even if the powers left, we would still be in bondage to sin, the power of sin. And we were in bondage to death, sentenced to death, unable. We do not have uh, the, the eternal life of God within us 
So we were facing death with no hope beyond death. These are our greatest problems. It isn't money or a lack of money or education or or getting just the right form of government with the right people leading it. Those are not our issues. Those are not humanity's central problems. We actually have much more serious problems than that. Much bigger fish to fry, as it were. Seeing as we, we couldn't fill ourselves in our emptiness, we couldn't free ourselves in our bondage, we, we could not uh, give ourselves life and hope. They were just beyond our reach. We couldn't just sort of pull those out of a hat. We couldn't put them within ourselves. But God found a way to unlock those things for us. Uh, he found a way to give them to us. He became human and made the ultimate sacrifice of self-sacrificial love on the cross. He paid the price that that we could not pay. And and it had to be this way. He had to be uh, fully God and fully human. As as only humanity um, should repay the debt, should stand in that place. And yet only God could do that stand in that place. He, God's the only one qualified to do it, but and yet humanity needed to, to be there. So God found a way to, to pay the price for us uh, by becoming fully human and yet fully God. He was able uh, to, to stand in our place. He was able to be the perfect substitute. He was able to uh, unlock these things. He was the only one who could pay the price. And so through uh, the cross and burial and resurrection, God God opened up a way for us to be free. Uh, In Christ, Paul says, you've received fullness. That's more than just like you're free from slavery, go on your way. It's much more than that. He says, you've received fullness because of what God was able to unlock. You were empty, but now you get fullness. You, You don't have to look other places for fullness. Uh, You you don't need physical circumcision or the law or extra morality or extra special angelic revelations from outside sources. No, all the fullness is in Christ. And through Christ, all of that fullness is offered to you. He shares his fullness with us. You don't need more than him. You need more of him. To, to receive of the fullness that is in Him. In fact, in another letter, Paul says, in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. I love that phrase. I go back to that. There's not these extra blessings out there that you can earn through morality. No, whatever the spiritual blessings are, however innumerable, they, all of them, you, it's, it's already yours. He blesses you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You don't need extra rules, extra revelations in order to get the blessing. His fullness now extends to you. And oh, by the way, part of that fullness that is in Christ that we get to experience is actually the victory of Jesus over all of those human enemies that I listed a moment ago. 
He won victory over all of our enemies. And now we get to walk in that victory. And if we just read through the passage quickly, we can kind of miss that. But one of the, the verses that, that we read this morning, uh, Paul says, Christ is, he says, you've received fullness. And then the next thing he says is, Christ is the head over every power and authority. That's spiritual warfare language. He has conquered Satan in the dominion of darkness, triumphing over them at the cross. More on that next week. But to suffice it to say, we get to walk in his victory. Paul said a few verses before, hey, he moved you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And now you have his power and authority. In another place, Jesus says, I'm giving you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. Again, this is spiritual warfare imagery. You now have that because you get fullness in Christ. Not his halfness, Paul says. No, his fullness. The fullness of what God has to offer rests on you. Uh, for years, my wife and I have been uh, thinking and praying about adoption uh, and growing our family that way. And uh, after years of praying, we finally felt, hey, the time is right uh, for us to pursue this. And so, as I, as I mentioned earlier, last week, uh, we submitted an application to start that process, uh, which is a very exciting step for us, something that we've been sort of building up below the surface for years. Uh, but the moment that we submitted our application to A Child's Hope, which is the, the Christian agency here in town that we're using for the adoption process, uh, the second that we submitted that application, things got really hard, like just immediately. And we had uh, an immediate family member who just sort of spiraled very quickly into this uh, dark, difficult, sort of demonic place. You could just sense the spiritual warfare there. But it was at our doorstep. We were having to, to, to walk through that. And, and my wife had a series of really hard days, just unexplainably hard. Like, why, why am I in such a difficult place right now? And, and I, was, I was in the same place. I had this sense of, like, spiritual oppression, of heaviness, of just resistance. Why is everything so difficult? And, and our, our kids were, were struggling. In fact... Uh, one was even having nightmares and kind of waking up like sweaty and, and just terrorized, shaking and crying in the middle of the night. Like this is, this is like we, something just shifted in the atmosphere very quickly when we decided to take that step. And, and, and during that same time, I was uh, reading a book uh, called Adopted for Life. Uh, by Russell Moore, which is a great book if you're considering foster or adoption. I'd encourage you to read that. Uh, but I happened to be in this chapter where he was saying, hey, uh, adoption uh, is, is an act of warfare in the kingdom. Uh, you, you, are, you are reaching into the dominion of dark. You are raiding that place. It, it is an advancement of the kingdom of God. A, a war-like act of the kingdom of God on earth. So you need to expect pushback. You need to expect resistance. You need to expect that that's going to, to stir something. This, this, and I was reading that, wow, that, that makes sense. 
This is an act of war. So, so we don't want to be naive about that. As we move forward, we need to uh, expect in some sense uh, that the enemy will attempt to derail or, or discourage us along the way as, as we push forward into that. So we have to, we have to be o- kind of awake to the reality of those things. But part of being uh, alerted to the reality of spiritual warfare is what Paul's saying right here. We, we have to walk in the victory of God. We have to stand in the reality that Jesus is head over every power and authority. Not like some of them some of the time, but all of them all of the time. Saying, you, you get that victory. And so when those moments hit, when those times of tension come, then we have to ask, do I actually believe this? Do I really believe what Scripture said? Do I believe that Jesus has that type of power and authority? Will I stand on that? Will, will I pray as if that were actually true? Because it is true. It says, we, we've been liberated from the dominion of darkness, and then in, in our freedom and our sonship and our daughtership, we've been given authority over. That changes the way that we live our lives. That changes the way we anticipate the kingdom of God advancing through us, unfolding around us. So first, uh, Paul's saying he he liberates us from the forces of evil out there, uh, outside of us that work in opposition to God. He said those are very real forces, but they're also very conquered forces. And and so we don't walk in fear of that stuff. We, we, We walk in the reality, no, Christ is head over all of that stuff. There's nothing he hasn't, there's no power he hasn't conquered, doesn't have authority over. And so he's conquered all of that, uh, and Paul says he liberates us from the forces of evil within. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago that even if those outside forces opposing God were to evaporate, we'd still have the flesh, we'd still be in bondage to sin. So they work in tandem with one another, they feed off of each other, but that's actually a separate issue that, there, that there's evil, that there's brokenness uh, within. Uh, and, and so uh, there's this, this power of sin, there's this flesh within us that, that before Christ just walked in, in perfect obedience in bondage to sin. And, and, and he says that when, when the fullness of deity dwelt in Christ and he went to the cross, what he was doing there, one of many things he was doing there, is he was breaking the power of sin. He was absorbing our sin, taking it upon himself. He became sin, if you can imagine that, and he broke the power of sin at the cross. So, so now those who are in Christ, uh, we get to, to walk in that victory as well. Sin's power has been broken, so if you are in Christ, uh, the Scriptures say sin will no longer have power over you. That's a stunning statement. If you're in Christ, sin will no longer have power over you. Its power has been broken, and part of breaking sin's power was putting your old self to death. Colossians 2 that we read this morning, Paul says, Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off, or cut out, or put to death, having been buried with Christ in baptism. 
Again, this is a, a stunning announcement about what is true of us in Christ. This isn't something to earn or to strive for. This isn't something extra that we can attain to. This, this isn't for the Christian elite. He says, no, no, no. If you're in Christ, these things are true of you. Sin shall no longer be your master, some translations say. Your old self has been put to death. If you've given your life to Jesus and been baptized, and it's done. You were buried with him in death. Your old self was cut out. You are a new creation. In the verses we, we read this morning, Paul says, you were, you were also raised with him. That's how clear. Like you, you were put to death. You were buried with him in baptism. Your old self is dead. And you're raised with him again to new life. That's that new creation-ness. You were raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Not through your work, through your faith in God's work who raised Christ from the dead. Paul's saying you put your faith in God's work and all of that is done as a past tense reality. The old is gone. The new is here. You are a new creation. You are no longer bound to old powers and authorities, but, but freed up. You're, you're freed up from sin's power, freed from the power of the flesh. Uh, and just like the reality of spiritual warfare, uh, this is something that God has done, a past tense that we didn't earn, but now we take hold of it as a growing reality in our lives. We, we believe that to be true by faith. And as we place our faith in that, th then, it, then it starts to, to take root, really starts to manifest in our lives. It's not that we have to work really hard uh, to, to get stronger uh, than the demonic forces that oppose God. No, no, no. There, there's no. There's no climbing your way up. There's no strengthening until. No, he says it's already done. Jesus has conquered those powers. He gives his power to you. You are in Christ. Therefore, it's already done as a past tense reality. It's yours. And, and you can act as if it's not, right? As followers of Jesus, we can fail to recognize that fact. We can act as if it's not true. And, and we can kind of listen to, follow to, function as if we were slaves of those weak and miserable forces that Jesus freed us from. We can act as if, but, but you're sort of living a lie. It's, it's very awkward from a heavenly perspective because it's, it's not true of you. The key to that freedom is first waking up to what Jesus has done and, and who you are in him. And, and as soon as we grab hold of that, we wake up to what's already true. We wake up to reality. The more awake we are to that, the more it grips our lives, the more it manifests itself in our lives. We start by believing it's true, remembering that it's true, and then we just go and live accordingly. The same is true with sin and the flesh. I, I can say confidently, as I stand here this morning, that, that, that sin no longer has power over you. If you've given your life to Jesus, place your faith in death, burial, and resurrection, it's done. Sin no longer has power over you. Your old self is dead, was buried with Christ, it's been put to death. It's done. 
And, and yet, as I make statements like that this morning, many of us likely have two simultaneous reactions. One is that the, the kind of new creation heart within us sort of leaps up and says, yes, that is, that is true. Jesus has done that. That is true of me. And, and yet there's this other part of us, this other half of us, uh, that, that really doubts that that is true. Could that be true? That I'm freed from sin's power. That, that my old self was actually put to death. Huh. And, and, and then that, that doubt begins to, oh, you know what? It couldn't be true. If only you had seen me last night. If only you'd seen me two days ago when I got so angry that I, that I struck my child in anger. If only you'd seen me when I was going and, and, and visiting that pornography site again. If only you'd seen me speaking in contempt and anger to my spouse for no particular, if only you'd seen me, you fill in the blank. My old self doesn't feel dead. I don't feel as if I'm free. It's all well and good that the Bible says that. But it couldn't be true. Sin and the flesh seem to be alive and well in my life. I, I still feel enslaved to those weak and miserable. For they seem to be having their way. I certainly don't feel as if those things are true. And this is where faith comes in. And, and by faith, I don't mean pretend that it's true. By faith, I mean trust. We, we trust in, in what Jesus, we trust, we believe, we acknowledge that these remarkable things that God says about us are actually true, already true. You are holy, you are blameless. You are righteous. You, you have, your old self has died. You have received fullness. Sin shall no longer be master over you. It has no authority to do that. It's just like spiritual warfare. You, you can live as if it weren't true. But these things are true. And when we consider them to be true, when we acknowledge them, when we receive them as true, it actually changes us. There's a very real battle that we're living in. Uh, there's a real struggle. There's real um, choices that we have to make. Paul, Paul says in some of his letters, you, you take responsibility. You're freed from sin's power. Now you, you take responsibility for, for your life, for your choices, for the things that you're doing. You seek out accountability. There, there is a real struggle. There is a real battle. There are real sacrifices that need to be made. But it all starts right here. It starts by recognizing these truths. You blow past what's true of you in Christ, you can struggle the rest of your life. It won't make any difference. It starts right here, Paul is saying. I have a good friend who, uh, even after becoming a Christian, uh, struggled a lot with pornography uh, in a really like ongoing, just bitter, frustrated way. Just this, this recurring thing. Everything else just seemed so good in his life, but he just couldn't, he just couldn't shake that. He was becoming very bitter, very frustrated, uh, feeling, feeling ashamed, feeling despair, 
getting to that place of, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to be stuck here, aren't I? I'm just going to be stuck here for the, for, the rest of, for the rest of my life. Until he encountered this truth, you are holy. You are blameless. Sin shall no longer have power over you. It has no authority over you. And, and as soon as those truths struck home, he was free. He was free. As far as I know to this day, he's never gone back again. All of his striving, all, even with accountability, all of his striving, all of his confessing, all of, it, all of that, it, 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 it wasn't enough to break that. What, what broke it is waking up. To, wait a second. It's already true. This is true of me in Christ. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth, what? Will set you free. It's in the, it's in the knowing. And I've seen this in my own life over and over again. In fact, recently over these last few weeks and months, I really sense God challenging me, leading me into times of silence and solitude, uh, prolonged times of silence and solitude before the Lord, in isolation, hours at a time, just me and God. Nothing to distract. And despite being a, a very introverted person, it was a very, very painful process. Uh, everything in me did not want to be there. I, I wanted to run. I wanted to distract. I wanted to, to get busy doing the important work that I needed to do. And the Lord was saying, you need to be here. You need to be here with me in, in, this, in this quiet place. And so I was there um, hours at a time, uh, multiple times a week, being led into these places. It's a very difficult place. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Uh, what, what's deep within you over time, over those hours, comes up to the surface. It's, it's slowly laid out before the Lord. All those things we kind of keep packed down within us. And so and through those times and hours and days, uh, he, he began just peeling back the layers. Hey, your surface looks pretty good, but you peel it back a little more and you peel it back a little more and you start going deeper and deeper into the human heart, the human soul, and, and we all have that the stuff down there that God wants to sort out. He wants to, to touch, to transform. And so over that time, uh, he really began challenging me. Hey, there are things you've never surrendered to me. There's wounds you've never let me touch. There's people that need to be forgiven who you've never forgiven. Would you do that with me now? If you, if you spend those hours, if you carve out that time before the Lord, I promise you he'll get to work on your heart. If you're sick and tired of being stagnant and where you are, just get before the Lord in silence and solitude. You spend enough time there, he will. He will start working stuff out. But it's a difficult journey. And, and one of the things that God exposed within me uh, during those times was these habitual patterns of, of thinking and bitterness and unforgiveness that were still there, often directed at things in, in the distant past, uh, things that, 
that felt so difficult to uproot, to let go of. Lord, I've, I've always thought that way. I've always been bitter about that thing. I've always been stuck in those cycles of thinking. And, and so when you come to that place of, wow, there's all that stuff deep down there and it doesn't, it feels immovable in my mind. You, you get before the Lord and you say, Lord, how do I be free of this stuff? God, how do, how, can you actually heal the stuff I've been carrying for 20 years? Can you actually change these things within me that feel unchangeable? God, how do I get free? How long will I be stuck here? And then you sit with the Lord. You wait on Him. And, and, and what ultimately brought about healing uh, in, in my life was, was God, was Him touching, transforming, doing things that I could never do in my own power. But, but part of the things that, that God was speaking, part of the healing process for me, was God doing un, unspeakable things that I, I don't have language to describe in the human soul. But the things that I could sense, the things that I could describe, or that He was leading me uh, in, into owning this grace in a fresh way. This is not a distant idea that, that just bounces around the back. No, no, this, I want you to own this. I want you to stand on this. God led me back to this place. Your old self is dead. It's been crucified with Christ. Do you believe that? Oh, Lord, I think I believe that. What does it look like to really believe that? It's not an empty religious an analogy. It's, it's reality. My old self has been put to death. It's gone. And dead people don't feel jealousy. They don't sit in bitterness. They aren't ruled by sin. It's, it's done. And God reminded me that, that, I, could, um, that I could let go of old patterns and old desires. And, 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 and he showed me in that time, I was actually what I was grasping at in those things was power and control. That's why I moved towards judgmentalism and bitterness and anger. And, and he showed me that, that I wanted to hold on to those things, these deep patterns that I thought, this will never change within me. He said, you can let go of those things Here's why you're holding them. You want that sense. When you grasp onto those things, it gives you a sense of control. It gives you a, a sense of power. In fact, through my prayer times, one of the, the images that the Lord laid on my heart was actually the ring from Lord of the Rings. Um, if you've ever read those books, if you've ever seen those movies, you know that the ring holds incredible power that if, you, that if you grasp onto it, if you hold it, you're empowered in a way that you never thought possible. And, and yet, there's something corrupting within it. There's something, something evil, something that undermines all that is good in the human soul. He said, that's what you're doing. You've, you've grasped onto this stuff because you want power, because you want control. In the end, it will kill you. Are you, are you willing to let go, let go of the ring, to open up, just, all right, I, I don't need that power. I don't need that, that sense of control. 
And, and through those times, he showed me how to do that, what it looks like to let go of that form of power. And the beautiful thing is that he, he led me back to Scripture and said, look at that. When you come home as the prodigal son, I actually have a new ring for you. I have, I have a new ring. I have a robe. You, you're, you're marked as part of the family. You have to let go of, of, of that, uh, that other way of, of thinking, of believing, of, of doing things. It's not who you are. That makes perfect sense with your old self ruled by the flesh, not your new self. It's very ill-fitting. If you're a son or you're a daughter of God, it's very ill-fitting to cling to that ring, to cling to that type of power. So it's that, that's not who you are. You lay that down. I have a better, have a better ring for you. I have a better robe. I have a better, better life for you than that. That's what marks you now. That's who you are. That's what all this circumcision language is, by the way. It, it, it was a way for males to be physically marked as part of the family of God. It was a way of saying, essentially, I belong to this family, to this story. I've, I've been marked by God. I'm part of this family. I belong here. That's what circumcision was. That's not what it means to us now. That's, now we just think it's weird. Why, why does the Bible talk about circumcision? But because this is what it meant to them in the first century. So in the verses we read this morning, Paul said, you don't have to go and, and be physically marked. This is something that Jesus does in, in your heart, in your soul. He, he, he marks you. To do something to your skin is one thing, but it's the heart that God is after. And as you give your life to Jesus, uh, you're brought into this family, you're, you're, you're marked by Him. He's marked you as being part of His family. That's what Paul's saying. In a deeper place than skin. Your heart has been circumcised. The old dead stuff what was cut out, was surgically removed, what was put off, was thrown away, and now you're a new creation. You've got a new ring. You've got a new robe. You've got a new heart beating inside of you. You have been um, given all of the fullness of Christ. It's all available to you. The fullness of Him now, it now rests on you. You're marked by him. You're part of the family. In such a deep way that, that we can now say those same things. We, we, we say, I belong to this family, to this story. I, I've been marked by God. I'm part of this family. I belong here. In that, in that same adoption book that I was reading, it talks about uh, the unique struggle that sometimes come when, when a child realizes, well, I'm not biologically related to mom and dad, so who am I? Do I belong here? Where, who am I? Where, where do I belong? 
And he goes into depth talking about this, and then he turns the corner and says, guess what? That's everyone's struggle. That's all of us. You could have two loving biological parents that raised you, and you still ask those questions. Who am I? Where am I? Who am I? Where do I belong? Paul says, you, you, you belong here. You've been marked by Jesus. This is who you are. This is where you belong. And now his fullness rests on you. He says he, he's conquered Satan. He's conquered the powers and authorities. He's conquered sin. He's conquered our flesh and put it to death. He's made us new creations. And last of all, Paul says, he's, he's conquered death. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. He has victory over it all. And out of his fullness, we have received fullness. You don't have to strive. You don't have to jump through hoops. You, you don't have to add anything to the gospel. You don't have to try really hard to gain power over the forces of darkness by some mysterious and elusive victory that you have to somehow win over sin or those powers. He says, it's already yours. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, and now the fullness of Him is available to you. Let's pray.